We continue our series, I Believe. We're looking at the rich Apostles' Creed and looking at the story that it tells, the story that connects us to the story of God, His creation, His redemption, our fall, and His consummation. Today we're looking at the section of that creed that refers to the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, the one who, as we confess, conceived our Lord. I spent many summers working for residential contractors. Practically all of my high school summers, a couple of my college ones, and even into graduate school, I would often find myself on a job site. I had a job with with one of these uh, home contractors in Dallas, and I was on a team with a crew of uh, Hispanic and Latino men who put up sheetrock in homes. It was hard work. And I'll forget, early in the summer, new to this crew, the foreman stopped work about the lunch hour, and, and everyone dropped what they were doing. They knew exactly what this ritual was that was about to occur, and the foreman gathered us into what would be the garage, and he pulled out a flat iron, and he began to grill some meat. He pulled out some homemade tortillas that his wife had made, and we shared a gourmet meal. Well, five minutes turned into 20, 20 turned into a nap for a few of them, and two hours later, we were back to work. Needless to say, I was a bit anxious and concerned that should our boss show up, we're all fired. Why is that? There was a significant cultural gap between myself, my experience, my story, and those of those men who were especially social, who did not neglect their work. After all, I think we spent almost every day into the wee hours of the night. Well, not the wee hours, but the early hours of the night. They didn't waste the boss's time. They just had a different rhythm. And our communication and our lifestyles, were, uh, we, we, the way we communicated was lost in translation as a result of our cultural differences. This morning, we're going to look at a story where there is a cultural gap. The woman at the well comes to Jesus. She's a Samaritan woman. And as she communicates with Jesus and Jesus back to her, we see this exchange where there's these cultural snags. And Jesus shows forth to us a revolution that is going to change the way cultures begin to interact and worship. Join me. John chapter 4. We'll begin with verse 19. The woman said to him, this is the Samaritan woman, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. And when He comes, He'll, he'll tell us all these things. And Jesus said, 
I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said to him, what do you seek? Or why are you talking to her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask now that by your spirit, your word would come alive in our hearts, that it would make its way to our hands, and that our will will be aligned with yours. Speak to us now through it. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to cut to the chase. The problem this passage draws out glaringly in mine and this Samaritan woman's heart is this. We worship what we don't know. In other words, we worship what we don't comprehend. To help us get our minds around this, I want you to think of that, uh, that favorite sports team, uh, that, uh, that person uh, in your life that's, that's special to you. Uh, may, maybe it's even a restaurant, or uh, maybe it's a workplace. Maybe it's a, it's a cause that you have developed, pioneered even. And, and as you're thinking of that, I want to broaden for you the idea of worship. I want you to connect to the term and theme of worship, that of allegiance, that of loyalty, that of joy, that of, of happiness in relating to that person or that thing. Have you thought of anything? I'm sure you have. There's, there's several of things that you could say that I worshiped with a, with a small W that I really enjoy, that I'm a fan, that, that, that bring me joy, that I seek to share with other people. You see, Jesus comes directly to this woman and says to us, right there in the beginning of verse 22, you do not worship. You worship what you don't understand. And what, what is problematic with that? Well, the truth is that even the things that we love, that we, that we assume to know really well, we don't know entirely. And all of those things, those things especially that are not of God, a part of God, they're broken. They're, they're impure, right? Think, think of a large organization. No matter what product uh, it produces, no, how, no matter how good it is and how much profit is gained, because it is made by human hands and hearts, it's broken. And so therefore you end up worshiping things that you don't know, that you don't fully comprehend. In some ways you begin to worship out of ignorance. But here's the problem with that. We begin to use these small things, these, these people and places of worship, to self-soothe, to, to work for us, Instead of us being drawn out, grown up, matured in Christ-likeness. After all, they can't because they're not God himself. And God's heart for us is that we would be worshipers in tune with him. So here's the problem. We worship things that we don't know. And as a result, we, we become ignorant and self-serving worshipers. But God's demand over each of our lives is that we would be in tune with him that we would worship Him. 
properly. God desires worshipers who are in tune with Him. I want you to hear that word over and over this morning. So first we're going to look at out-of-tune worship. Out-of-tune worship. Second, we're going to see what in-tune worship is. And finally, we're going to look to the worship tuner himself. Hopefully, you won't be tired of this word by the time we make our way through it. First, out-of-tune worship. Before we even look at this passage and the point that's being drawn out under this heading, I want you to have this image in your head. This out-of-tune worship, I want you to connect it to uh, something like the transmitter and your FM receiver, okay? So the word tune is related to a disconnect, all right? So first, God desires worshipers who are what? In tune with Him. Here is how this passage shows we get out of tune in our worship. The Samaritan woman quickly uh, goes spiritual and religious in verse 19. She says, I see that you're a prophet, and I'm going to rely on your background that you've heard parts of this story. Uh, But quickly, Jesus has named uh, particular shame, particular brokenness, particular sin, relational and otherwise, this woman has in her life. And it's cut her deeply, not in a malicious way but in an insightful way. And her response to him is like, oh, I've got to get out of this corner. You must be a prophet. And she goes on to say, we worship here at Mount Gerizim, but you Jews say that proper worship is to be held in Jerusalem. See, there was a deep religious divide between uh, the Jewish people and the Samaritans. And, And this happened years ago, centuries ago, in fact after Israel had been divided uh, as a result and after uh, King Solomon's death. Northern tribes of Israel were annexed into pagan Assyrian rule. As a result, those northern people of God under the regime of Assyria began to sort of intermix, syncretize these paganistic practices in the worship of God. We're guilty of this almost all of the time. But as a result these Samaritans were, were despised for their religious and ethnic impurity, right? And it got even worse when the Samaritans had the audacity to create a separate temple here on Mount Gerizim. Jesus said earlier, the social situation between the Jews and Samaritans is this, they do not associate with them. You see, worship is always closely linked to a sacred place. All right, I don't want to lose you. We're still talking about out-of-tune worship. But first, I want, to, I want to locate for you how real this is for you, how, how concrete um, local places of worship are in your life. Think about that, that burial site of, of, of a loved one or a friend. There's a physical marker of his or her former existence. Think about that place where something magical happened in your life something important happened in your life and if it's nearby or even far away when you cross its path you think about that it's a place you see God made us local long before it was a fad and a trend we are local creatures intended to inhabit local places and worship God in our local area 225 East Jackson Street has been here 
as a sacred worship site in Thomasville, Georgia. I think this year makes 131 years. And likely many of you, generations of you and your family, look to this physical piece of property with, with a sense of joy and faith and hope. You're made for local worship. You connect these two things together. You've likely either experienced or heard about one of the tolls COVID-19 work is having on people. So many people, lots of people in America, have been forced to work out of their homes for long periods of time. And for a while there, we were excited about it, finding fancy fun desks and different ways to make our home spaces creative. But what's now happening is burnout. People are, are experiencing deep fatigue working from the same place that they sleep, eat, use the restroom, play with their family. It's all being moved together. You see, my point is um, spaces for particular work in your life are baked into your DNA. The Samaritan's attempt to, to worship God um, was sinful, in fact, but their attempt to make it local and regional to their lives is a part of God's design. And yet, their worship was still out of tune. Our worship trends out of tune. So I just want to ask you, before we move on, would you do an assessment of the places that you worship? The, those places that you frequent, maybe, maybe your gym, or as I mentioned earlier, maybe, maybe a restaurant, maybe, maybe your back deck, maybe a vacation home. Grab your friend, grab whomever does and goes to these places with you and, and draw out a list. As I've described what worship is, see if you can create uh, places that, where this happens in your life and in your heart. And then ask this very important question. Is it resulting in, in, in right and properly tuned worship of God? Or is it making it more blurry? Is it making it... Uh, separate itself so make an assessment and ask yourself with a friend that question yet their worship remains out of tune you see location is good but what happens with our hearts as they did and as the jews did as we do still is we get stuck on location we, we, be, we begin uh, to be stubborn right we actually begin to think um, our hearts take what should take us to transcendent places, right? The church is to connect with God who is not of us. And yet it becomes a place of eminence or we just like to tickle our fancies and, and enjoy things on our own and for our own selves. As I mentioned, it's, it's like a pacifier. This is when religion at a, at a particular location, when adamancy takes over heartfelt religion, it becomes a self-soothing appetite and practice. How did this happen for the Samaritan people? Specifically, they did not have the, the entire word of God. You see, when they, when, when they were split by choice and, uh, and even by, by part providence, the Samaritan people were only looking to the Torah, to the Pentateuch, to Moses' first writings. Their understanding and their relationship to God was based entirely on those things. While the Judeans in the south, those who inhabited uh, the southern region, they, they had the, 
the witness and ministry and the history of David's life as king. They had the poetic and prophetic writings. You see, we get stuck on location when we have an incomplete story. Think about, again, someone that you care about. Think about your relationship with that person, a coworker, a roommate, a spouse. Think about your relationship with that person at year one, year two. And think about that person and your relationship to him or her at year 10, year 20. It's a rhetorical question, but did your relationship change? Of course it did. You and he or she matured. You came to understand, as we began our time, to worship what you knew, to relate to who you knew. You see, the Samaritan people had begun uh, to worship out of ignorance. They had an incomplete story with, with uh, incomplete facts. And Jesus is saying, this is all too um, easy for each of us to get swept into. You see, what makes your relationship deeper and more appropriate and, and experiencing maturation with that person is the fact that you have endured both trial and pain and suffering, depending on that relationship, and on the other side of the spectrum, joys and delight and fun. You've, you've experienced all of them. And Jesus is, is teaching us through the Samaritan woman, you know, a long time since, that you and I, while local, we get out of tune when, when, when our hearts begin to get adamant that, that this place, this thing, is where our worship ends because we accept an incomplete story. You cannot worship fully what you do not fully know. To put it positively, worship follows the knowledge that you have. The Apostle Paul was blown off his horse by the revelation of God, the knowledge of God, something about God and Paul, heaven and earth met. The will of God entered the will of Paul, and it changed his life. And what did it do? It went from his head to his heart. He was inflamed by the knowledge of the one who changed him. God desires worshipers who are in tune with him. Yet we tend to worship things we don't know. We settle. What does it look like then to have and be a part of in-tune worship? Our first point, I wanted you to think about the transmitter and the receiver and, and, and this image of connectivity, sort of a mechanical situation. Now I want you to think about tuned worship in the sense of its uh, pitch or melody, its harmony. Verse twenty. Three. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in what? Spirit and truth. The Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Simply put, to worship in spirit means that our worship must originate from within. It, it must be sincere. It must be motivated by our love for God and gratitude to Him for all that He's done. It must be without pretense. To, to worship God in spirit is, is to do the same thing that, that the phrase, the spirit of the law means. It's intent. It's motivation. And a good test for you 
um, to, to see if you're worshiping in spirit is to see if, if, if you have, um, if you've fallen into a ditch of, of either only uh, appreciating sort of extemporaneous forms of worship or only appreciating and, and thinking that you're growing out of more structured ones. You see, our hearts make the mistake on both sides, right? At, at worst, those of us um, who, who are drawn into structural forms of worship, at worst, um, we can, it can produce in us an artificial admiration. But positively, these patterns, these rituals, these liturgies can begin to train our minds, our spirits, and our bodies. These patterns, these structures begin to comfort weary souls, and they strengthen Christians for mission. On the other hand, fresh moments of worship, inspired worship, energizes a complacent heart and renews our love for God. And at worst, individuals who, whose hearts have been calloused by only, uh, only worshiping God, um, I guess, on this side of the fence, is that they could become shallow and resist and refuse the disciple of rigorous thought. So where are you at? And I'm not talking, by the way, about genre of music. I'm not. I'm, I'm talking about fluidity versus uh, structure. Are you at a place with God relating to Jesus by His Holy Spirit where, uh, where, where both are at work in your life, in your community? Truth. So we're looking at worship that's in tune with God. And we looked at spirit as the passage talks about. And now, quickly, truth. Our worship must conform to the truth of God in Scripture. It must be about the person who reveals himself in these words. It must be rooted and tethered in the realities of the biblical story and witness. It's not meant to be formed on what feels good, but by the light of what is true. And this is why every element of, of every, every part of our worship needs to matter. The, uh, the calls to worship need to, need to reflect a sincerity and an accuracy with the calling of Scripture presented to us. Our confessions of sin need to be uh, thorough and they need to represent those fallen tendencies in our hearts. Our our songs of praise, adoration, and thanksgiving need to be sourced in the very words that God's given us. And our sermons need to reflect the message here. In other words, truth needs to inform our worship. Taken together somewhat quickly so we can get to this last point. But verse 28 and 29. So the woman left her water jar which is a tremendous statement because if you remember the story, they're at Jacob's well and there's this wonderful imagery about water that we're going to finish with. And she said to the people in her town, she said, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Folks, I want, I want you to hear that Jesus cannot be separated from his bride. That those who claim Christ 
must be a part of his community of Christ. When, when God called you to himself, he didn't pluck you from the crowd. He draw, drew you into his community of faith, of fellow believers. So I issue a warning and an encouragement. If you're not doing life with a fellow believer, if you're not sharing intimacy and silly moments and honest, truthful moments, if you're not learning about the Lord together, I invite you to, to consider um, where, have you, where have you gotten stuck in, in incomplete truth and, and facts and the story of Scripture that has led you to, to live that way? You were designed for more. And I know that many of you are, are feeling this acutely. We're just over five months in this COVID-19 season. So if you say, Skyler, well, I can't get with people right now. It would not be safe. And I absolutely don't want to cut, run over the cultural moment that we're in. And so maybe I could just simply say to you, I hope that you're longing, if you're unable, to connect your life with God to other people, because that's by design. To be a Christian, as this woman says, this is where I'm getting this, she goes to tell other people, individual worship naturally must manifest itself corporately, whether that's two people or a thousand. That is the design of God, to be the body of Christ, to be the bride of Christ, to be integrally connected to Him. This is in tune worship. Spirit, truth, spirit and truth. Finally, this, God desires worshipers who are in tune with him. Let's look here at the worship tuner himself. Verse 24 says, God is spirit. John has done this later about describing God with, with the word love. He's equating something. He's making an essential statement about God. And the Israel people didn't, didn't think that God wasn't a, a spiritual being. They just didn't connect what John is trying to convey, what, what Jesus is saying in this hour to the Samaritan woman. There has to be a correspondence between, between the, the object of the worship and the worshiper. I think of the, the simple analogy of, of, of a pet owner and the pet, uh, the dog and the dog owner. And your love for your dog uh, will always and forever be greater, more pure, hopefully, uh, than your dog's. Uh, your dog's allegiance to you, if you're a good owner, will, will certainly be reciprocated, but it just simply won't be the same. You're, you're entirely different creatures. In a similar way, um, we are utterly distinct from our God. And yet we've been called to relate to Him with, with, with a sense of congruence. How? The worshiper, or excuse me, the worship tuner himself. The NIV translation makes note of this. It notices what John is trying to do, that underneath uh, this conversation uh, that Jesus is having, he, he is talking about a quality of worship, but he's also pointing to a person who's at work in our worship the Holy Spirit himself. You see, it's the Holy Spirit who spurs us up to celebrate and rejoice and give thanks. It's the Holy Spirit who opens our eyes to see and Savior all that God is for us in Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit who, I hope, orchestrates our services and leads us in corporate praise. He's the initiator of our worship. He is the link that connects us to our uh, transmitter. He brings into harmony the hearts and minds of God's people. He's the grand conductor, hiding in the orchestra pit of life, bearing witness to the one, the person and work of Jesus. He's behind the scenes, specialist with absolutely no ego. Have you met the one? He works tirelessly 
to convince you of. Jesus left the chorus of heaven to bring His in-tuned worship, His perpetually perfect worship of God, home to your heart. Heaven's transmitter abandoned Him, that is Jesus, so that your impure, lackadaisical worship would be restored. Has the Holy Spirit led you to say, like the Samaritan woman, come, see a man who told me all that I did? That is worship and spirit and truth. Let's pray together. Holy God, matchless Savior, wonderful Counselor, Holy Spirit, we don't ask you to to give us a pick-me-up and and, and a how-to of how to become a better worshiper. God, we want to be a true worshiper, a worshiper who connects to you as you require, that we would do so with delight and joy. Would you do that now? Would you be about that now among us, your people, here in Thomasville? In Jesus' name, amen.